The scripture today is from Genesis 1, 6 through 10, and 37, 12 through 15. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so. I'm really nervous, so I'm just going <laughs> to take a breath. <laughs> God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning, a second day. Then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem or Shechem, as Steve told me to pronounce it. <clears throat> and Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. He answered, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now and see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring word back to me. So he went from the valley of Hebron. He came to Shechem, and a man found him wandering in the fields. The man asked him, What are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to Shannon as well. It occurs to me that um, most everything we do that's worth anything, you feel pretty nervous about diving into doing it. So if you feel nervous about doing whatever it is that God is calling you to do, like go to Israel-Palestine or have that conflict resolution conversation, or just show up at church, for heaven's sake, uh, if you feel a little nervous, God is with you. Whatever, whatever you're doing that requires courage, God is saying, I am with you. Amen? Amen. All right, let's go. Let's go home. That's all we need. <laughs> it's my kids. Uh, okay, fun to see so many people here. Uh, maybe this next announcement will clear some of you out. Um, there, there, it, we are about to turn. <clears throat> we are about to turn three as a church, and uh, that means that all of our outside support that we have raised and been given ha has been used up, and that was the plan. And so now, over the next five weeks, we're going to give you uh, the invitation to consider what you give to Genesis. Uh, and on June 5th, we're going to have a big party uh, because we're going to be financially su sustainable uh, as a church, and that is going to be so wonderful. And I want to thank those of you uh, who have given so generously in the past. So now what I want to do is ask those of you who maybe haven't made a decision about giving financially uh, to get together with your people, whoever those people are, and talk about what it might mean to make a commitment to give financially to Genesis. Uh, we would ask you that you would do that regularly and generously. Those are our two things, regularly and generously. And you can give online. You can set up automatic withdrawal uh, on our safe. Um, about 80% of you do that, and that is great because it helps us budget. We would encourage you to do that. Uh, if you are, uh, I, I mentioned a check in, in a meeting this week, and then someone said, Steve, you're showing your age. I'm like, don't you guys write checks anymore? I mean, so anyway, if, you, if you're old school like me, you can write a check and put it in, in the boxes. Um, we need to increase our giving uh, this year by about $70,000. 
50,000 is to make up for the outside support that we got this last year, and 20,000 is results of some increases to our budget that will allow us to support our first church plant, which we're going to talk about next week, and get us ready to move into a different location in a more permanent way. So we want to get ready for that. Uh, so some people ask me, like, when you're talking about giving financially, where should you start, right? I mean, like, how do you figure out how much you give? So in talking to some staff people, um, I thought, you know, I'll never know what you give. In the beginning, I did, because that was the beginning, but now we have systems, so I'll, I'll actually will never know. But I wanted you to know what percentage that our little family, Mary and I, have chosen to give. And what we've chosen to give is 10% of our income. Now, I don't believe... 10% is the mandated rule or, or law, partly because I think some of you could be a whole lot more generous than 10% based on what you make, honestly, but also partly because based on you know, student debt or joblessness or whatever, some of you could never give that much, right? And so we don't want, we, I, I don't say that for you to feel guilty. I don't say that for you to let yourself off the hook if you're giving 10. What I say uh, to you is consider as a measure of your own discipleship with Jesus what it is that you're going to give. And I believe fully that our church is going to move into the, into the future uh, fine with God and with each other. Uh, but I need to invite you uh, to give. So consider uh, raising your giving if you're already giving and you have a little room to raise it, or consider starting giving, uh, again, regularly and generously. And, and uh, we're going to make up that about $6,000 a month that we need to make up to, to head into this next year's fiscal uh, budget. In it together? All right. Excellent. Uh, now let's head into uh, the talk. And we normally, if you're new around here, we normally follow the Revised Common Lectionary. It's a three-year-long cycle of passages that tell the rhythms of the church calendar. But for a lot of reasons, we felt like as we turned three as a church... Uh, we want to go through this, uh, the series following the seven days of creation and talk about the new beginnings that are in front of us as a church and, are, and that are in front of you as individuals, right? So last week, we talked about day one, where God said, let there be light. And I loved it on Easter Sunday. There were some, I think, visitors that came, and I said, what happens on day one when it's dark, and the answer was, you hit the snooze button. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, that's absolutely what you do on the first day of the week, Monday, when it's still dark outside. You hit that snooze button. Biblically, what happens on day one is God creates, and God says, let there be light. And light is then drawn out of the tohu vavohu. Remember we talked about that last week, tohu vavohu is that chaos, that sense of unrest, that swirling craziness that existed before light came. And so many of us in this room right now are experiencing their own levels of tohu vavohu, whether it be starting a job, ending a job, ending a relationship, starting a relationship, dealing with loss. I got a text yesterday, some of our family friends uh, experience a devastating death in their family. So tohu vavohu is always coming at us. And what we believe as um, people of faith in Jesus is that God, into those losses and into that tohu vavohu, is always speaking words of generativity and light. Let there be 
light. So last week we looked at our value as a church. We have seven values. We looked at our value of attentiveness, where if you look on our website, it says this, we believe God is actively at work at all times and places, making all things new. Because we want to join that work, we spend time praying for and seeking a restored way of seeing, hearing, and sensing God, each other, and our own souls. So the question as we head into day two and week two is this, when we begin to find a restored way of seeing each other, God, and our own souls, hearing and sensing, what happens next? Is that an end in of itself, or is there somewhere you're prepared then to go with a new way of seeing, a new way of sensing, and a new way of knowing what God is up to in the world? What happens inside of you, and what happens to those around you? That's the question that we want to wrestle with today. So in verse 6 of Genesis 1, we read, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. This is day two of creation. Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. And let it separate the waters from the waters. And so we have these waters above called the sky and waters below called the sea and what's underneath the land. And there was this expanse that was created, the environment, dry land, that was created in between the two waters. And the word for expanse in Hebrew, and by the way, Shannon, way to go, Shechem. I think you even did that. I mean, that was so killer. Yes. Uh, the, the Hebrew word for expanse is rakia. Rakia. The root word is raka, which uh, is what you do when you are really, really angry. Raka is stomping your foot on the floor if you're four years old and your brother says something to you that you don't like. Remember that if you were here last week, remember the honking story that I gave you? Unforgettable. That's raka. Raka means anger. Raka is the nasty email you send way before you should without editing it or waiting for the blood pressure to go down, send. Raka is what is happening when you're slamming the cupboard doors, when you should be saying something with words to your spouse. Elbow, elbow. Raka is what you do when things need to change, or when things are changing and you don't like the changes. I'm just curious. If you're a person, because some people like change, if you're a person who likes change, just raise that hand, okay? Okay, I don't know. That might be 20% of us, 15%. Most of us don't like change. What? What'd you say? Liars! <laughs> Charlie Hugo, liars. It, those of you who just raised your hand, you like change when it's your change. <laughs> if it's someone else's change, hate change. Hate change. Uh, we see it every four years in the United States of America. We do. 
This is true. Raka also means to expand and be solid or to make broad. So what happens when a skilled artisan takes some metal and wants to expand that metal so it can cover something? So the Israel-Palestine folks, if they go to Jerusalem, they'll see this gleaming gold dome. And that was by many, many skilled artisans, uh, gold that was hammered out, that was heated up and hammered out so that it could um, be beautiful in the world. The ancients believed that the expanse that was created on day two supported the sky above like pillars, without which it would all come crashing down on us. So these Israel-Palestine people who are voluntarily making themselves expand. Here's my question. Why are they doing that? Let's let that be an all play. Why do you think otherwise sane people are traveling to the Middle East, not just to get in a tour bus and visit the holy sites where Jesus walked, but to listen to Palestinians, to listen to Israelis, to listen to Christians and Muslims and Jews talk about conflict? Why do you think they're doing that? <laughs> well, that is an answer because that's what they do. <laughs> All right, so why do you think these people are choosing to go? Change, and then someone said, Ryan? To expand their views. Thanks, Ann. To listen. Thanks, Isaac. Pursuit of freedom, Matt. Say more. Mm. Not just for them, but for, their, for our world. Peace brings freedom. Because they're uncomfortable with conflict. Thanks, George. That would be a reason to go into a conflict zone, to expand your view and your own way of dealing with conflict, right? To love, one, to love other people. Is that, what, is that what you said? Oh, is that what you said? To love on others. Yes, yes. Eric, did you say something? You were repeating because I couldn't hear. Thanks, Eric. Um, so uh, this is a little awkward, um, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read a quote from the book that I wrote on this subject. <laughs> so, me saying that it's awkward, does that make it less awkward? But it's really good. I couldn't believe I, I, mean, I wrote this. Um, I might need a, like a, a, not an expansion, but a, a limiting. <laughs> On day two, you're invited into an expansion of character so that your life can support all that is growing inside of you. At times, day two can feel like being hammered out. It can make you want to stomp the earth with your foot like a four-year-old. Expansion requires adaptation. On day two, you are expanded. And you're invited to become more you, to become broader, to let go of something known but used up in order to receive something unknown but full of life. And I do think that's what is happening on day two. We reach for something that is unknown but full of life as we let go of something that is used up 
and maybe was helpful at some time in your life, but is no longer helpful. So in Genesis 37, we read the story of Joseph. Uh, that is Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, that guy, which the Bible then wrote about. Um, <laughs> Joseph is Jacob's son. Jacob's Isaac's son. Isaac is Abraham's son. So you have the, we're not very far into the story. And Jacob has 12 sons, and he, uh, in the story that we, that Shannon read, he says Joseph, calls his name Joseph. And then Joseph responds by saying, Hineni, which is a Hebrew phrase that's translated as here I am. But what it, what it means over and over again when people say it in the scriptures, Isaac says it, God says it to us, Abraham says it. It means no matter what it is that I'm being called to do, I am all in. I don't know what it is that I'm moving toward. All I know that I'm being called to it is that I'm being called to it. And my response is, I am here, I am present, and I'm fully engaged in what's about to happen, even though I don't know the outcome. So that's what Joseph is saying as a teenager, probably 14, 15 years old. Joseph, here I am, Father. No matter what you're going to send me out to do, I am in it. Jacob says, go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with their flock, and bring word back to me. So Jacob sent Joseph from the valley of Hebron. Now, what you don't know is that Joseph's brothers hate him. The word hate is mentioned four times in the first 10 verses of Genesis 37, which is the writer's hint of saying, they hate him. <laughs> they hate him because he's telling them dreams about how they're going to bow down to him someday. And, and it does seem a little arrogant, and maybe it is arrogant, but maybe Joseph is just one of those beautiful people that says what life is like that is unvarnished and vulnerable. Sometimes we call vulnerable arrogant. And maybe he was arrogant, but maybe he was just being vulnerable. And his brothers hated him, and they were plotting how to kill him. And it's very likely that Jacob knew this. And he said to Joseph, go. See if it is well with your brothers. And the, the translation of that is, see to the shalom of your brothers. See to the wholeness of the well-being, and the restoration of your brothers, 14-year-old. I'm not going to tell you that they're plotting to kill you. And notice that Jacob says, come back with word. But those of you who know the story, does Joseph ever come back? He never, ever comes back. So here we have a father telling a son to go to see to the shalom, the wholeness, the well-being of his brothers. And he's going to do it by going into harm's way. That's what's happening. Now, remember last week, we read in the light and darkness day, it was so dark on the ninth plague that a man couldn't see his brother. So here we are again, where a brother can't see a brother. Joseph's brothers want to kill him. And that's the main theme of Genesis. Brothers who are killing each other. Cain and Abel, Ishmael and Isaac, Jacob and Esau, brothers in conflict. So when we get to Genesis 37, and Joseph is sent out by his father to see to the shalom of his brothers, and then we get to that, then he goes, and there's this weird old guy that we never see again and never have seen before 
that Joseph runs into, and he asks him this epic meta question. Joseph, what are you seeking? And this is a question that will guide the rest of Joseph's life. And Joseph's answer is, I am seeking my brothers. For the first time in Genesis, a brother is not deceiving a brother. A brother's not plotting to murder a brother. A brother's not being cast out from the camp from another brother. A brother is finally seeking a brother. And this is the ark of wholeness, the ark of shalom that goes through the rest of Scripture. Because, of course, when the Father sends the Son, Jesus, into the world, into a world who his brothers hate him, Jesus goes to see to the shalom of his brothers and sisters. And his answer to God, when God calls his name, Jesus, is hineni, here I am. No matter where it goes or what happens, I'm all in. I'm fully engaged. I'm fully present to this mission. So Joseph gets sold into slavery by his brothers. And uh, for about three weeks, he would be walking with his hands uh, tied together, his feet tied together, uh, with no breaks for the bathroom. They would feed him enough to keep him healthy when he was sold into slavery, but imagine how that would be. Then he gets a job in a man called Potiphar's house, and then he gets wrongly accused of raping the boss's wife, and he gets put into, he gets put into prison. He languishes there. He finally gets out of prison and becomes the chief of staff to the pharaoh, he devises a plan to save the world from starvation by saving 20% of the world's or the Egypt's GNP of grain, puts it into big bins, storage bins, so that over the next seven years of famine, they and the world can survive. And so Joseph sees to the shalom, not only of his brothers, but also the entire world. But the question is this, as Joseph is sitting in prison, for all those years, and being wrongly accused, and away from his people. Think he's a Jewish man that's trying to do Sabbath and follow the rhythms and alone. And from Genesis 37 all the way to Genesis 50, we have not one mention of one conversation that God has with Joseph. Not one. Now, we do read in Genesis 39, 21, the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. What does it mean, though, when you're being expanded like Joseph was, that you might not hear a word from God, but God might be loving you and being with you nonetheless? Can you believe that? Even if, you know, if you read Mother Teresa's diaries, who were, they were published after her death against her wishes. She told people, do not publish my diaries, and then they did. But in those diaries, we read years and years of silence. Mother Teresa did not hear God's voice for years as she was being expanded so that she could hold those babies and the reason why she wanted to hold those dying babies is because she believed each one of those babies was Jesus. That was her conviction. 
And stories are told about when Mother Teresa uh, went in front of certain presidents. So, you know, Mother Teresa, I think she was about five feet tall, right? And a story is told when she uh, got into one of their presents, they just, she hadn't even said any word yet, but he fell on his feet and wept because of the authority in this little woman. Now, that authority comes when you agree to being expanded. Being expanded is not fun. Being expanded is confusing. Being expanded requires change and adaptation. And when God calls you to do something, in my experience and in my reading of the Scripture, God doesn't get you all fully ready to go before you leave. Amen? It's OJT, on-the-job training. You learn how to do it by what? Doing it. And to that, you might shake your fist at God. You might rock at God. You might get upset at God. But the way it works is you can only learn what you need to do by doing it. And that's absolutely been true for me in planting this church. Absolutely, utterly. We had great training from the Covenant Church. I had lots of ideas and thoughts. But being around you has taught me and our staff has taught me how to do this. And there's no other way to do it. Going through the pain, going through the loss, going through the exciting times, seeing things happen. I was at a, a, the Israel-Palestine fundraiser a couple weeks ago. It was on this Friday night. It was in um, this um, medium-sized room. There's music playing, and the people, people from Genesis were there, and maybe 100 people, and we were raising money and having fun. And it was like I was just looking around, and I was mostly just sitting talking to Matt and Annie. I didn't move around a whole lot, but I, I saw this community of people doing something that I would have never, like, imagined. I mean, in my wildest dreams, I wouldn't have imagined that we would send people to Israel-Palestine and that we would gather together and play really good music and have a lot of fun. Kids would be running around. And I just thought to myself, like, this that's happening um, is expanding me and us. So the word, the name Joseph, Joe, means? The name Joseph means to add, to expand. It means even more. What does it mean, here's an all play, to be named even more or to add? Do you want that legacy in your name? Say, say it again. Maybe. All right. My son, maybe. Bring it on. Hineni, heavy. Yeah. Always something more to do. Let me talk about this man, Joe Tim, that you guys all know. I've known Joe for just three years now, just, just through Genesis. I have seen, and so have you, you've seen him expand. You've, you've seen it. So have, sit down for a meal with Joe. And talk to him about what it means to expand. So the question is this. What are you seeking these days? Whose shalom are you seeing to? And who is seeing to your shalom? The value that I want to highlight this week, last week is attentiveness. 
This week is conversation. And this is what we say about conversation. We ask lots of questions that show interest in people and in process. We're better when we're talking and learning, so we allow great questions to lead us together towards what is good and true. We can be confident in sharing and hearing ideas because we know God is more and better than anything we can name. When we allow ourselves to listen and see and learn about each other and God in a way that expands our views. Like 10 years from now, you should look back on what you believed about God now and say, wow, I mean, my view about God has expanded. It shouldn't stay the same. It should expand. So one-way Genesis, I believe with all of my heart, is being invited to expand is related to our location. We've been hinting at that and talking about that, and we have no answers today, but we've been looking for a building. The way I think we need to expand is we don't need to just look for a building. We need to look for a people, a community, a neighborhood in which we need to nest so that we can be expanded by knowing them and so that they can be expanded by knowing us. Can we move from being renters to being rooted? That's the question. And if we do that, it will require what? (laughs) And I'll give you some money for saying that. Uh, That's not where I was going, but you're right. You're totally right. It'll require expansion, won't it? It'll require some of us to go, ah, I'm not totally comfortable with that. Rent? (laughs) What? The kids are the best. Uh, Can we give up some of our convenience to actually root ourselves in a community, a neighborhood, a people, and learn from them to engage in conversation and presence and meals and listening and sharing? We are being expanded, but the question is for what and for whom? Whose shalom are we going to seek? That's the question as it relates to location. Everybody get that? It's not just what cool building can we find. When we start asking and wrestling with that question, I really believe God will lead us. Amen? And whose shalom will we let uh, people seek our shalom? What people will we let Seek shalom for us. Because moving into a neighborhood, gang, it's not just about like, hey, we're here. You're so lucky. It's mostly about seeing, immersing, listening, learning, being changed. Amen? Whatever community we go to, we're going to experience the light of God because it's already there. <laughs> And we'll just join it. We'll see it and go, oh my goodness, I didn't even know it was happening over here. But we'll join it. Anne Voskamp, this un- unknown author. I love this church because most of you guys are like, yeah, I haven't even heard of John- Anne Voskamp. It's <laughs> part of why I love this church. She's like a mega writer in the Christian world. Uh, she writes this, proximity is the antidote to fear. So Israel, Palestine, people. Proximity 
is the antidote to fear. Take that with you. Tattoo that on your arm or on your forehead. <laughs> Thanks, Will. Uh, gang, we are being invited to expand. You are and we are. The question is, how will we respond? Uh, so we're going to go into 60 seconds of silence, after which time I'll read the, sil- uh, the prayers of response. Uh, and then Katie's going to lead us in the Eucharist. So come, Lord Jesus, speak to us now.